the keys. Should we make him have the custard cream? Should we? Yeah. <laughs> I've got my own sound effect. Here you go, yeah. Phil. Custard cream. Now yeah, Phil's got the... Mm. Right. Okay. Well, I'm just eating the biscuit that's left over from the leaf day. Mmm. <laughs> mm. so much better when they're free. Mm. It's so impolite to take the last chocolate one, though, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Today's podcast is a special. It's Leaf Day. Linking the environment and farming. Phil... As Richard and I are eating the biscuits from the training day, perhaps you'd like to describe what it was. Right, well, LEAF stands for Linking the Environment and Farming, and LEAF as an organisation have run, over the last couple of years, a series of courses designed for farmers to learn about speaking out, and they're called the Speak Out courses, and the idea is that it teaches us how to deal with the media, how to organise and run farm walks and visits and deal with children and the public and all the rest of it. And so yesterday was a feedback come training day to brush up on our skills as Speak Out Farmers and to find out what each other had been doing and to have opportunity for some speakers to give us some material to think about and, and deal with. Mm. And it was here. It was great, wasn't it? Fantastic day. <laughs> You've still got a load of chocolate digestive mm. in your mouth. Mm. It's very impolite to stick the whole biscuit in at once <laughs> as well. <laughs> I thought you might come and nick it. <laughs> I thought better eat it. You thought right. <laughs> anyway, we had several sessions and we learnt so much stuff, like the importance of props. So there was a farmer with a lock and key who used that as a prop to open up the farm and show people around it, and that was part of it. And then John Plum used a chainsaw, didn't he? Yeah, well, he, he's great because he's so eloquent and quiet and enthusiastic, and he lives in, uh, next to the Peak District in Derbyshire, which in the springtime is just glorious with the wildflowers, and, and he's so passionate about it, it's great. So his prop was a chainsaw, and obviously the connotations of a chainsaw are, are naturally destructive. Rainforest, you know. No, no, this is a conservation tool. You use it to manage your environment, to trim the trees or to deal with the hedges, coppice them and so on. And that he came up with a whole series of positives about a chainsaw. I thought it was great, really good. Mm. And so we had workshops where we used props and Susie explained how you needed at least four props on a walk so you can just call on the prop. Uh, mine was a badge saying, ask me, I'm a farmer. Mm. And the idea was that if kids did that, then you'd got this silent prop to encourage people to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. And then could we then hand out badges that said, I've asked a farmer about the birds and the bees. I've asked a farmer about wildflowers. I've asked a farmer about this and that. Why are you laughing at me, Rich? <laughs> <laughs> asked the farmer about the birds and the bees. <laughs> When I wore the badge, the only questions I get asked, or at least the first questions I get asked, are where's the loo or where's the chocolate biscuits? <laughs> yeah. Depending on he whether it's Heather asking me the question, of course. James, yeah. who was the farmer who had the badge, said that he always got asked, what's the weather going to be today? Really? Yep. And that badge was designed by Julia Evans and her daughters over the kitchen table for Farm Sunday, which was back in June, when 300 farms across the country opened their doors to the general public. It was highly relevant that it proved to be such a good prop. 
Well, there was a whole day of stuff, but the part that we're bringing you today is called The Trouble With Farmers Is. And that was where various folk were invited to talk to farmers in a fairly critical manner to encourage the farmers to think about other people's opinions and the whole image of the industry. And so, first up, we have Podchef. Podchef, as you know, feeds back to the Wiggly podcast quite often. And we've got a show coming up with Podchef very soon where he describes how he's using Bukashi with his sheep and stuff. And he's from Washington State, and he has a real problem with loads of farmers. So at the do yesterday, at at our village hall, we played Podchef virtually, and he did this talk to farmers. The trouble with farmers is that although on the whole they're intelligent people, they refuse to think. It's as if the fumes from their enormously expensive tractors have clouded their reasoning abilities. They put all their eggs in one basket, sowing the same seed in the same spot year after year, wearing out the soil, relying on chemicals to make everything right, sending up huge plumes of dust while tilling and after harvest, and wondering why the field is two foot lower than they remember. They'll buy these seeds and chemicals and tractor parts if they could from the same salesman grumbling all the while that they're being cheated and never once stopping to realize they are being cheated and they needn't be. But the main trouble with these short-sighted farmers is that they have the land, the equipment, the skills, and presumably the intelligence. After all, they grow crops to feed millions of people. Yet they'll walk down the supermarket aisle shopping, saying, Cool, that's expensive. I can't afford to feed my family. They don't realize the solution lays with them, that historically, the farmer has been the most dangerous character on the political map, feared by governments large and small, marginalized by media, and minimized by regulation and taxation to limit their power. People often say that Stalin purged the intellectuals first. Some will say that it was the farmers. In reality, it was the intellectual farmers who got squashed in many governments' struggles for power and very few survive today. If only today's farmers would use what little intelligence they have left as a cultural resource and stop monocropping, and return to growing many diverse crops, they will not only save the soil, but the environment on the whole, and could bring greater profit in the end. If only farmers would stop kowtowing to the corporations who want everything faster, cheaper, and by the way, you can only buy your seeds and chemicals from us. And remember, the term chemically resistant, when applied to insects and weeds, didn't exist 40 years ago. They could start to repair the damage World War I surplus weapons have done to agriculture and the earth. If only farmers would resist the urge to grow bigger and bigger in order to capture less and less of the market, only to bankrupt and have ADM, Cargill, or Monsanto sweep in to buy up the pieces at discount prices, and instead... Remember that indentured servitude ended in the 19th century. If only farmers would end their whinging about the high cost of everything while they approach the government cap in hand and begin by growing their own family's food and participating in the local economy, thereby wresting the power away from those same corporations selling them their seed, their chemicals, their tractors, and their dinners, then there wouldn't be any trouble with farmers. 
So second up, we had Dick Barker, who you might remember on the show way back when we had the supermarket route, because he's got pretty firmly held beliefs on the way supermarkets operate. Mm. And so he did a really good piece on how farmers and supermarkets don't get on and how the combination don't, in his view, supply food correctly. Because Heather's only that big, you see. Well, thank you very much. Um, my family, we have a, a saying called Barkerism, and it's baked, uh, I'm Dick Barker, by the way, and it's basically being able to talk at great length about something you know completely nothing. And that's what I'm going to do now. I have no experience of farming. We moved to Herefordshire from London in 1972, and I thought, yes, the great thing to do is grow your own food, and I did. I even clamped potatoes. And then one day I decided, right, I'm going to grow some barley. So I sowed the barley by hand. I reaped it with a scythe. The family got together, and we thrashed it on the garage floor, swept it all up. Good, we're going to feed the chickens with the barley seed, and we're going to feed the straw to the donkey. The barley seed had all the hairs on it, and the chickens wouldn't eat it. The straw was too dirty, couldn't feed it to the donkey, it still had grain in it, so that was a complete washout. So from that point I decided, no, I'm not going to be a farmer. But at that time, it, was, uh, it seemed to me anyway, because these are all observations, it seemed to me that farmers were doing quite well. I mean, wheat was around £120 a tonne. Now I understand it's now about £60 to £70 a tonne, and we're talking 30 years ago. And what's happened since then? Well, the prices of seeds gone up, the prices of machinery's gone up, the price of labour's gone up, and you're getting less. I understand it's a similar sort of thing with cattle. I think cattle prices, well, Phil can tell me, have remained virtually stable for the last 30 years. There hasn't been a great deal of rise. So, you farmers have got a problem. What happened next? Well, you, you've had subsidies. You've always had subsidies, and they gradually try to reduce them or rejig them, whether it's on the land or on the animal. But there was a need for farmers to become more efficient. There was a need for them to be more businesslike. Why? This was because there were cheaper imports. It was because the subsidies were reduced. It was because of the growth of supermarkets. And this is my big thing. This is where I think farmers have gone wrong. Supermarkets control the food chain. They're the people that decide what we eat. They say, yes, it's the public. It isn't. It's the supermarkets. The price of our food is less now than it ever was. We spend less of our earnings on food than we have for, well, I don't know, for years. People go for cheap food. Oh, that's great in the supermarkets. And the supermarkets know this. So they're looking for the cheapest possible food. And it doesn't come from you. It comes from abroad. So we've got a problem here. We've got tasteless carrots and this is where farmers are going wrong this is where i think they're going wrong they need to educate people they need to make people see that locally grown carrots are far better than those that are shipped in from spain or wherever it is that's one thing farmers need to do the other thing i also think is that they need to get together Farmers have always been, you know, oh, we, we do a deal down here or we go there and, and oh, I've got 10p a tonne more than he did down there. You're divided and divided you're going to be overrun. Together you could be a real strong marketing force. You need to be together to take on the supermarkets. That's basically it. I don't know about the NFU, I don't know what the organisation is with that, but I really do believe that if farmers could get together to produce quality food, quality crops, 
they could then challenge the supermarkets. There was a, a, a thing came through my door only yesterday, and I thought, I'll bring it along. I expect you all know about it, called Shared Harvest. Has anyone seen that? This is where they box up vegetables and you buy a box of them. But they're actually doing something. They're actually delivering this round to the houses and trying to encourage people to buy locally grown produce, which hasn't travelled all these miles from abroad. So basically, I think the trouble with farmers is farmers. You need to get together, you need to work together. We've got computers and all sorts of things now which make it much, much easier. But you've got to do it. I think you need to turn over a new leaf. And then third up was, well, it was really three people were invited and the fourth one battered the door down to come and have a go at farmers. <laughs> and here he comes, well prepared as usual, yeah. Ricardo, and sets off. Well, actually, he was going to set off on a massive diatribe against <laughs> the problems of British agriculture, but Michael fortunately chopped him off at the knees and told him he wasn't ready, at which point Ricardo's nerve left him and he just visibly wilted in front of us and how good it was to see. <laughs> That's how, not true. Uh, <laughs> oh, having regained some composure, he did a very good piece on the problem with farmers. Here it is. Well, it's nice to see you all anyway. It's a shame that I couldn't have perhaps met you all on an individual basis before I start my rant. I'm also conscious that I'm perhaps going to be preaching to the converted because I think that the fact that you're all here today means that you're perhaps more forward-thinking than some of your peers and you're also perhaps more compassionate and perhaps more reasonable than many of your counterparts. So with that, I I know some of you from a past life as well that we've met. There are many problems with farmers. The biggest problem with farmers is that it is impossible to generalise because all farmers are so different. Now, I'd be interested to see if, there, if there's anybody in this room from some of the bigger strawberry-producing quarters of Herefordshire in this room. No. Which is slightly unfortunate, really, because in, in many respects, there is a massive distinction between those that would rape the countryside and take as much from it as possible with a view to make as much money as is conceivable from that land, and then, by contrast, the endearing individual that entertains groups of young people on his land, that farms sympathetically, that has set aside, that considers the way he cuts his hedge, that has buffer zones, that, that looks at the material that he puts onto his land and the material that he takes from it. Without wanting to be completely disparaging to all those farmers, I'll continue. The, 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 <laughs> the, the problem with farmers is that farmers are arrogant. Farmers assume that they have their land and they're able to do what they will with their land purely for their own benefit and for their own materialistic gains. They have no attention to detail. They're not putting passion into the land. They're not looking after the land in a way in which it should be, in a way that's sustainable, in the way that it's ongoing, in a way that it will be there in the same state as it is now for future generations. I mean, I said to my wife, I left the house this morning and I told her what, I'm, what I was going to do. And I said, what, I, what am I going to say? You know, the problem with farmers is, and Sarah said, well, surely there aren't any problems with farmers. All they want to do is make a living. And Gussie's absolutely right, because that's, that's what we all do, really. We all, make, we all want to make a living. It's the same with human nature right the way across the board. We have our good, our bad, and our, our indifferent. And it's the indifference that causes a lot of the problems. Farming is the most wonderful thing to be able to do. Imagine... Set aside the, the fact that you know, you've been privileged enough to be able to, to have a, a livelihood 
inherit a livelihood if you like set that aside but just imagine being privileged to be the custodians of the countryside to be able to have this land and to look after it for the greater good of all not only just to produce food because that's all important we all have to eat but to have something that you can look after that would be your own but i don't think farmers really appreciate it farmers don't appreciate how fortunate they are and the other major problem with farmers is that they think that everyone is out to get them and that's not the case People aren't, aren't against farmers. If farmers come out of themselves more and appreciate what's going on around them and are able to convey what their sentiments are to the greater populace, then it's going to help no end. Someone told me that working with a group of farmers, trying to push farmers forward, was like pushing a barrel load of frogs. They all just want to jump out all the time. And it's such a shame, because we, the only way that any of us ever make a real difference is to work together. And I could go on, but I won't. <laughs> I, didn't, I must admit, I didn't agree with everything that the, the pod chef said, you know, and, uh, and I, I, I very much doubt all of you will. It'd be interesting to see your thoughts, and I don't mean to be disparaging in, in any way. Thank you. Cheers. The fourth presenter was Tim Kidson. He's, I suppose he kind of motivates business, but he speaks all over the world. Right. And he had two keys in his hand. The first was a really old, massive door key. Yeah. And the second was a smart card, so like a credit card, door key kind of thing. Mm. And he described the differences between the two. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? 25 years ago, I came to Hereford, and the world kind of looked like this key here. This key had knowledge and information in it, and if you turned the key, it would do the job. And you could touch the knowledge, and you could measure it. And that's how it was. But in today's world, whether we are in agriculture, whether we're in mail order, whether we are in manufacturing, the key looks like this. And there are four rules about this world. Rule number one is that customers, I'm going to ask you to validate this statement, but customers in this world tend to want more for less. Would would anybody agree with that statement? Secondly, competition can come from anywhere on the globe. Would you agree with that as well? And thirdly, business models in this world are changing as we speak. Business models. And fourthly and lastly, knowledge and information in this world can move at 186,000 miles per second. So it doesn't matter what business we're in, in this world we have to change how we think, we've got to change what we do, and we've got to change how we behave. Now, there's going to be a little prize for the correct answer, the first correct answer to a question that I'm going to ask at the end of this little presentation. I think that there isn't a trouble with farmers at all. I think there's massive opportunity out there, and the key to it is relationships. And the better the quality of relationships we have with everybody that we come into contact, the better and the more successful will be the business. And I think we need three things to develop these relationships. The first thing is we need clarity of direction. We need to know, if we're here today, where do we want to be in three years' time? And I'm going to give you a little model that helps clarify that. The second thing is we need to develop trust. We need to develop trust with all the key people that are part of our business. And thirdly, we need to enhance performance. We need to be able to find out what is it that makes us personally special. Because everybody in the room is special, but when we know what it is, we can help make other people special. And that leads to relationships where one and one makes three. 
When you have relationships with all the people that are important to your business, where one and one makes three, it is the clue to innovation and creativity. It is the clue to success in this world that we find ourselves in. So clarifying direction is just a bullseye. It's a metaphor, really. It's really, what do we want to be? our products and services. Helen Thomas is, comes from a, a farming family down the road. She makes cider. And the answer to her, what do we want to be? We want to offer exceptional quality ciders and outstanding personal service. That's all they say on their business plan. It's as simple as that. What do we want to be, our products and services? Second question is, how much of it? Because it doesn't matter who you're with in your business, there's going to be somebody that you've got to share this information with. And the how much is your ambition? So wherever you are today, we could talk about profit and sales. If it was a school, we could talk about an Ofsted grade. If it was a membership organization, we could talk about the numbers of members. But for businesses, it tends to be sales and profit. So where are we today, December 2006, and where do we want to be in three years' time? Because there's no good waiting. That's a kind of reactive use of time. We've got to be proactive. We've got to say, this is where we're going to go. The third question is for whom? Customers. Who are the customers that we really, really want? Because the steeper the flight path on your bullseye, the more or the bigger or the better customers you are going to need. And the more or the bigger or the better customers you're going to need, the better your marketing strategy has to be. You cannot reach new or bigger or better customers by carrying on with your existing marketing strategy. And the fourth and final question of the bullseye is simply for, by when? When are we going to be there? So clarity of direction is the first thing. The second thing is to develop trust. And trust is a massive word. It's a great thing that in such a modern world we can use old-fashioned words that have such power, more power perhaps than ever. Because when we share with the important people in our life, what we're trying to do to improve our personal performance, that's how we develop trust. So Susie said today, right, four, never leave home, never leave the farm without four props, you see. Now, when you get back, you could share the four props with your partner, maybe even the people that work in your business. What are the four props going to be, and how do they work? What's the magic in those props that we talked about this morning? Whether it's the bolt on the gate there, or the chain, or the badge that's now going to say, I met a farmer today. And the more we share this with the important people in the business, the more likely we are to improve performance. And then lastly, when we've done these development points for ourselves and our colleagues, we can look at ourselves and hold the mirror up and say, what is it that makes me special? Is it my personality? Some people are introverts. Some people are extroverts. Is it the way I use my energy? You know, people have physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy, spiritual energy. Is it the way I use time? Some people tend to be reactive. They wait for the world to come to them. Other people are proactive and they say, I want to go for this. I'm going to go for it. Is it the way we behave? You know, when we meet another person, whether it's a group of children coming to the farm, whether it's some teachers we're going to work with, whether it's a supermarket buyer, whoever it is, we've only got three things. We've got our words, we've got our voice, and we've got our gestures. And does our behavior mirror what it is we're trying to achieve? So we've got personality, energy, time, behavior, thinking, intelligence. You know, in this world, intelligence, it could be numerical intelligence that was valuable. It could be analytical intelligence, problem-solving intelligence. But in this world, the way we're all going to be winners in this world is to develop our emotional intelligence. 
to develop our interpersonal intelligence, getting things done through and with other people. I don't care who those people are. That's what we've got to do. Our intuitive intelligence. Think of the creativity in that activity this morning where we shared those props and then had to swap them over. Intuition, innovation, creativity. That's the clue to the way forward. So, clarify direction. Develop trust. Enhance performance. That's the key to relationships. The better the quality of relationships you have in the business, the better the quality of relationships with customers and suppliers and visitors, the better will be the performance of your business. That's all I've got to say. Thank you very much. Who'd like a prize? And the question is, what are the four questions you need to ask and answer to have a bullseye? Okay, sir, go for it. What are, yeah. Correct, yeah, how much? Customers, for whom, yeah. Well done, Russ. Oh, I just think it's an amazing do that puts on that sort of criticism direct to farmers and then deals with the reaction. It's very difficult. I mean, for me, it was, it was incredibly difficult because I had to go in there and, and uh, insult a, a 25 people, pretty much, because well, I didn't want to do that. I mean, I like arguing, as you, as you and the listener probably realises, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't enjoy insulting people. Yes, yes, that's, but isn't that because? Isn't that because... It's easy to insult faceless people. It's easy to refer to farmers as a big group. But it's not so easy when you get 25 of genuine people in front of you. No, of course not. Absolutely mm-hmm. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I had to take on the challenge, really. <laughs> <laughs> and also you told me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Invited. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was suitably insulted by Richard, but I always am. But I, I think it's great, actually, because Leaf are really good at this. The people who are members of Leaf are by their nature, willing to address these sorts of criticisms and problems. Not only do they address them, they then come up with a plan as to how to deal with them and how to progress past them. So one of Leaf's initial and most basic things is to get people onto the farm and show them what actually happens, so break any misconceptions that there are. And a lot of it is about misconception. And then the other half of it is the marketing angle and how useless, by and large, farmers are at promoting themselves, their farms and their products. And that was what I take from things like The Trouble With Farmers is because the theme that ran through all four presentations to me was that, you know, we're all individual farmers, but the public don't realise it. What did you think of the reaction, Rich? I thought it was really good, really positive. No one got the knickers in a twist. Everyone just fed back and we had some really good constructive debate. And what did you think about the farmers in the room and the farms that they were operating? Well, I didn't really get a chance to, to speak to anybody on a kind of intense level, but I, I thought they were, as a group of people, they were sound, you know, a really nice kind of endearing bunch. They had quite contrasting backgrounds, didn't they? So it was a good group, and I would have, I would have really enjoyed the opportunity to talk to them more, and I think I probably will at, you know, at some stage. I'll, I'll get the chance to talk to a couple of people, but um, good gig. Hope you enjoyed this special. It's bye from me, Heather. And it's bye from me, Farmer Phil. It's bye from me, Richard. Anyway, uh, he uh, he said, "Oh, uh, he said, oh, I think Kathy Meredith was over there." And I said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly." As I left, I thought, <laughs> "That's why you're here." I've just been talking to her for half an hour. <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs>
Quite <laughs> well, I saw them walk around in a complete daze, honestly. Years, isn't it? That's yeah. Terrible. If yeah. you go by there again, I'd like a bag of those organic spirits. Yeah, no worries.